Welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Good morning, everyone. My name is Glenn Withers. I'm one of the founders of the Australian Physiotherapy and Pilates Institute, and it is my pleasure on behalf of myself, Elisa, and the whole APPI team to bring you another episode of Pilates 101. And so this month, our focus is on levelling up in the Pilates industry. And we brought this, this topic to you and thought we would promote this topic to you because we find there may well be a little bit of a disconnect between what we're seeing on the training front. And this probably is more UK biased here, guys. I'll put my hand up and say that to begin with. And maybe that's actually what I should look at, is comparing this to what's happening in other countries around the world. So we all know that mat work is very, very important. And that's where you begin the foundation of your Pilates training, that's for sure. And you know that's why our program and pretty much every Pilates program in the world begins with mat. However, what we wanted to talk about was this concept of thinking that you've attained your Pilates qualification when you've just finished the mat work, okay? And that is true, and that's a big part. And many of you will be out there fully certified in the mat, teaching mat classes, using one-to-one mat exercises, and it is great, it's brilliant. However, coming out of the pandemic, for those of you that are really wanting to take your career into the next level, wanting to earn more money, wanting to be much more valuable to studios, to your employers, or if you are looking to start to push your own business forwards, there has been a seismic shift in what studios are offering and what clients are demanding from what we have seen and from what we've heard and spoken to from people all around the world that are running studios. And so I wanted to bring this topic out there as a point of discussion for all of you guys just to have a think about. Now, Pilates in its true form, when Joe developed it and when people originally started training for Pilates, you trained on everything, the mat all the way through to the large apparatus. And by that, we're talking reformer, Cadillac, chair and barrel. Now, as things have evolved, the reformer has become almost a standalone piece of apparatus on its own. And we've seen this enormous development of reformer-based Pilates classes. And there are certain businesses out there that that is what they do. And we're going to speak to um, one of those people, Jeff Waters, a little bit later on. Jeff's a a fellow Australian. You'll pick that up from the accent pretty quickly. Um, And he runs a great bloody studio. He's about to expand to a second studio. And he's seen from his background from a personal trainer through to running a hit studio, through to running his Pilates business as well, this enormous thirst and demand for reformer-based classes. And we're also going to speak to Julie Driver. Julie will come on as our first interview today. For those of you that don't know Julie, Julie is an enormous name in the industry, trained initially with body control, became a body control presenter, and then traveled the world doing that, and is now teaching under her own name, Julie Driver Pilates, and has moved on and is actually developing a lot of equestrian-based training programs specifically looking at the impact of the rider on the horse 
But I wanted to speak to Julie because, again, she is a studio owner. She owns her own studio in North London. She's travelled around the world and seen all of the sort of trends and topics around the world as well. Now, for years, we've noticed or been aware of quite a difference between, for example, the demand in the US versus the demand in Australia versus the demand in the UK. And it has been much more mat-dominant here in the UK. It's much more equipment slash reformer dominant in Australia and much more sort of overall equipment dominant in the US compared to mat. Um, you know, for example, in Australia, I think, you know, from a training point of view, it's probably 80% equipment-based, reformer-based, 20% mat-based. Whereas here in the UK, um, that's always been sort of the opposite, but it's been a real shift in what the training demand has been since the pandemic. And I've seen the exact same shift in what our clients are demanding in our studios, which is why I thought this would be a good topic to talk about. And I wanted to ensure that we had a variety of views and thoughts on this. So um, in a moment, you're going to hear from Julie Driver, as I said, about her views on this and the concept that we are always learning and we should always be challenging ourselves to learn. And within the Pilates sphere, what does that look like and, and what are your options with that? And Julie's got some really interesting insights into her view of the learning pathways. Um, and then after that, we'll speak to Jeff, who will give you his sort of story and insight into what he saw and why he made the choices that he did in terms of levelling up his career. From my point, um, I guess what I'm seeing very, very strongly is coming out of the pandemic when there was so much shift to online classes and online learning. Well, from a mat work point of view, I think there's still a demand for that, although some people are certainly coming back and wanting that more personalised attention. But what really struck out was people missed the reformer and the equipment. And that's what came back for us quicker than anything. Now, we've also seen a significant uplift in the demand for the reformer training. So that made us think, okay, let's have a talk about this. Let's get this out in the open. For me, okay, and I'm talking about this from a studio owner point of view, uh, I see a real change in the demand for reformer classes versus mat classes when people are making the effort to come to your studio and as such maybe that's happening everywhere around the UK and therefore maybe you want to have a think about what is that next step in terms of your own leveling up and your own development now the reformer is phenomenal in helping people also improve their mat work and you can progress people so much quicker by incorporating the reformer or the large equipment into their programs but from a class point of view and therefore a business point of view as studio owners, adding reformer classes onto your timetable into your studio is an enormous advantage and that you can charge more for the classes, you increase your revenue and they will be full. There's an enormous demand out there for this. And so that's really what we're going to have this discussion about. Um, so rather than me talking all the time, I think it's, it's worthwhile hearing from our special guests for today. So I'm gonna hand you over, first of all, to my chat with Julie Driver, and she's gonna have a talk to us about her views on learning, continual learning, and how the Pilates industry and the training might benefit you in your future. Okay, everyone. Well, 
as promised, we have an amazing guest joining us on Pilates 101 this month. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Julie Driver to our little podcast here. Julie is a huge name in the industry. She's been in the industry for decades, been a teacher, been a teacher trainer, has done pretty much everything that you could do on all scopes. And I've just learned with an actress even before that. So there you go. We have, we have the whole thing here ready to talk about. And this month we're talking about levelling up. And um, it, it's fascinating to speak to somebody as a, a studio owner, as a teacher and an educator, um, and somebody who's been in the industry for so long about that concept of learning. But before we get on to that, Julian, welcome to Pilates 101. Great to have you here. Hi, Glenn. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Our pleasure. Well, look, I've given you a brief intro there, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Most people already know, but let's, let's hear it from yourself. Okay, so very brief history. I started my teacher training in 2000, qualified in 2001 as a mat work teacher. And at the time, there weren't any courses for the larger apparatus. So I was taken under the wing of Gordon Thompson, who took me into his studio. So I learned all the apparatus in that way on the studio floor. And then as the courses were written, I took the qualification, I did the exams. And so over time, that's how my career developed. And I was very um, unfortunate in 2008, I had a horrendous skiing accident and totally smashed up my left leg. Um, they thought they might have to amputate it. Oh, God. But I'm very, very, very lucky that um, we were in Canada, the surgeon saved my leg. But during that period of rehabilitation, I learned a lot about rehab, <laughs> I learned a lot about the knee, I learned a lot about compartment syndrome and skin grafts. But I was invited to become a teacher trainer for body control. So I spent sort of about nine years being a teacher trainer for them, traveling around the world, training people for them. And then in 2014, I entered the Pilates Anytime Teacher of the Year competition and didn't really expect anything much to happen and won. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I know it really it was it was one of those moments where you we were sitting watching the numbers tick up and my husband looked at me and said I, I don't think this is you know I don't think anybody could possibly you know the time that's left beat you which was a bit of a shock because I did it as a confidence boost I just had um you, you've got twins you know what it's like having having children I had uh 14 month old twins and I just did it as a confidence boost. I literally filmed the video down here in my studio. We did three takes. As I was just saying to you, talking about being an actress, I normally do things, you know, at first go. And we, I watched it back and I said to my husband and the person who was my body, you know what? I could do it differently, but I couldn't do it. You know, if I did it differently, it wouldn't be me. Yeah. And I don't think I can do it any better. So we put the video in and the rest, as they say, is history. But that allowed me to then travel internationally under the banner of my own name. So I yep. set up my education company and my passion has always been horses and my drive has always been to bring together horsemanship and Pilates because I'm a great believer that what we do as a rider affects our horses enormously. So I then went out to, to um, America and trained with a man called Monty Roberts, who the book The Horse Whisperer is allegedly based on. And I trained to be a horse whisperer and um and that, that's really where I'm at. I, I'm a great believer that Pilates is a wonderful complementary sport for all athletes, but particularly for riders, because we have such an influence on another animal. So that, that's pretty much where I am at the moment. 
And um, I've just started talking about continuing your education. I've just started my training this week to become a riding instructor. So the learning never ends. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. It's right. Wow. What a what a varied career you've had as well. Gosh. And, and it is interesting, isn't it, that not in all aspects, but often on the, the rehab or the re-education side mm-hmm. of Pilates, when you've gone through something yourself, it gives you such a depth of understanding of both the emotional and physical nature of what it takes to actually overcome an injury and, and how Pilates can link in with that. Um, I find mm-hmm. some of the, you know, many of the best teachers that I've come across come from that experience of having gone through this process themselves. Absolutely. And um I am, I'm incredibly accident prone. And as we were also talking about last year, I uh, shattered my heel bone, my calcaneus quite dramatically. It was like as if somebody had stood on a crunchy bar, the whole thing just popped. Oh. So I have um, a plate and about 12 pins in that. So again, I'm, I'm rehabbing from that. So it's, it does give you an understanding of pain. It gives you an understanding of trauma and it gives you understanding of the length of time it takes people to rehab. I think that's the thing is, so if you look at me at the moment, if you saw me walking down the street, you'd see a relatively, you know, fit middle-aged woman who can walk. She doesn't limp. However, the truth of the story is that my rehab hasn't finished. Yes, I can horse ride again. Yes, I can paddleboard. I can climb mountains, but I still have a 40% deficit of strength in that left leg. So I have to keep rehabbing. I can't stop. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Can I just ask, is it the same leg? The yes. skiing injury? Is it? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the chances of that, eh? I know. Wow. I'm so accident prone. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you're really yeah. challenging that side. Um, oh, yeah. All right. Well, um, we, the, the point of this month's podcast is the concept of levelling up. And on your website, you have a, a quote there that you describe yourself as an eternal student. Um, yeah. And with your intro there, you've clearly backed that up. Even right now, as we speak, you're, you're still learning and still moving forwards. But I'd like to ask you about it from a couple of different points. The first point, again, you talk about yourself still doing sessions and still you know, having sessions yourself, doing your own self-practice. And I think some, I think it's important thing just maybe to, to hear from you about because I know a lot of people that go through their initial training and that can be quite intense and quite all-consuming and then they become a teacher and one of the first things that can often stop is their own body learning through continuing to do their own sessions. Um, why have you decided that that's so important for you? There's a couple of reasons. I think the first one is uh, in order for you to inspire people, you yourself have to be inspired. So I look to, I I have a a number of teachers that I go to that I feel inspire me, they challenge me, and I'm always learning. There's uh, So Monty Roberts, the horse whisperer that I worked with, he has this great quote, there's no such thing as teaching, only learning. And I think we have to constantly be looking to improve ourselves because um, otherwise we get we stagnate we get stale and it shows in our teaching and I also think that it's really important as teachers we look after our own bodies often when we finish our initial training we focus on the teaching aspect and not ourselves and especially if you're a mat teacher you're bending over people regularly mm-hmm. you're um, maybe time poor because you're trying to um, build your business 
And the thing that tends to slide is your own personal practice. And I think the minute you let your own personal practice slide, you're in danger of, again, it's that word stagnating. So even if it's half an hour, two or three times a week, you need to keep your own practice up because the minute you stop, it's very, very hard to then get that drive to start again, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it sort of links in, I think you would agree, but I'm keen to, to hear this from you as well, is Pilates in essence, or my understanding of Pilates in essence, is about us learning to be as efficient in the movement process as we possibly can. And then from a teaching point of view, the people that you're teaching, therefore they're learning off you, everyone learns differently. Some people learn through, through voice, some people learn through demonstration, some people learn through touch, etc. And so if we stop that concept of us being efficient in the way we do the movements through our own practice, that demonstration side of being able to deliver the exercises efficiently, easy, um, you know, with control, there's so much that clients learn from how we move, not just what we tell them to do, right? Absolutely. And I think we are all guilty of doing this that we always have a good that good side in inverted commas (laughs) so when we demonstrate so if it's an asymmetrical exercise we always demonstrate the good side because we know it's it's going to look the best so that side therefore gets you know if you're doing 10 mat classes a week and you're always demonstrating your left hand side there's going to be this you know you can end up walking around in circles you know because you're going to be so one-sided and it's it's the thing that I always say to my clients is don't always make sure you when you demonstrate, you want to give the best demonstration you can, but make sure you're looking after your own body when you do demonstrate as well. But I also think there's a value to our clients knowing that we're not always perfect at everything. Mm-hmm. I Years and years ago, when I used to teach at a local gym, I did, I, there was an exercise and I said, this isn't my best exercise. I struggle with this exercise because I have a very flat thoracic spine. Yeah. One of the women in the group was horrible. She was like, well, you're a Pilates teacher. How can that be? And I said, well, I'm a person first. Yeah, I'm a human yeah. being that have you know one of the reasons I do Pilates is because I have a flat thoracic spine. I'm being honest with you, yeah. and I think that's the thing is you know we've got to keep we've got to be honest with our clients. They need to see us move, and they also need to understand that maybe bits of our movement aren't always perfect. You yeah. know, for a while I couldn't stand on two feet, you know, but I was still able to teach. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's not just about the demonstration; it's about the correction we we are able to give as well. Yes, and then. Uh, and in doing that, that comes through, like you've just touched on there, by challenging ourselves through our own both movement practice and learning practice, I, I would suggest in that, um, you know, I'm certainly guilty of doing those exercises that I enjoy most, not necessarily the ones that are maybe <laughs> the ones that are best for me. Um, yeah. But I think that also comes from that, that concept that we're talking about of continuing to learn and, um, you know, for myself, coming from a physiotherapy background, we're obliged to. We have a certain number of continuing education hours and things that we have to do every year, otherwise we get deregistered, um, you know, and that varies around the world. I guess that's something that I, I wanted to explore a little bit with yourself because obviously you qualified in 2001 and then you became a teacher trainer. And I, I think you, you mentioned there there was a a few years at least gap between that qualification and when you got to that status as well what was that like for you if you can recall what you did was it just an immense self in teaching did you 
consolidate, then go on to other things. What was that time like in terms of how you progressed your learning? Like I said, I was very, very fortunate that when I um, got my mat work qualification, I was taken into a studio. So I would watch every single day right. people teaching. And I think observation hours are just as important as doing hours because seeing teachers who have more experience than you and how they work with clients, how they move clients is really, really valuable. So I did a lot of that. There were a lot of tears. There were days when um, I, Gordon would say to me, you know, can't you see what that client's doing? And I know I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. And I'd come home and I'd say to my husband, well, why am I doing this? You know, and then I'd go into the studio the next day and I'd spot it. I'd see, I'd write, oh my, I can totally see what he's talking about now. And that only comes from hours and hours of observation. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. And then what I did do was I found the teachers who I wanted to learn from. And I traveled. I spent time in New York um, working with teachers that I couldn't get access to in the UK. Now, this is the beauty of what pandemic has given us. We have access via Zoom to so many teachers around the world. Whereas before I could only see my teacher in New York maybe once a year when I went to America. Whereas now when I broke my foot, I had a one-to-one with us every week. Yeah. You know, I mean, how fantastic is that? But that's what I did. I went, I spent time in New York working with the teachers that I wanted to learn from. And you just can't stop learning. And I think you need to find the people who just light you up. Yeah. That you just go, I can, I really understand A, how they're explaining it and what they're explaining and that give you the inspiration to then take that to your clients. Because yeah. that that's the thing is we should do it for ourselves. Do it for yeah. yourself. A lot of um, teachers say, well, why would I bother learning the reformer or the chair or the Cadillac? Because I can't, a, I can't afford one. I, I don't live near a studio and I'm not going to buy one. And my response to them is that they're all absolutely valid points. Okay. They're really, really valid. However, when you learn the reformer, the input that puts into your mat work and how you suddenly you can see things in the mat work that maybe you couldn't see before how the resistance of the reformer will enhance certain exercises and I I think that's why I always push people to to do as much as they can because anything that's going to lift your own teaching is really really important yeah and do it for yourself do it for your own personal practice did that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. Yes, yes. And it does. It brings it, it ties in actually quite nicely. So thank you for the link there. Because the other, I was going to ask you a question about when you, you look at the, the map work and the equipment, and mm. we, we talk about that as sort of the, you know, the, the, the cornerstone of, of the Pilates repertoire. But then you have to be very versatile in the way that you teach, especially now. And, you know, if you are teaching, you know, Virtually, you have to have ways of teaching that you know, takes you outside of you know, the sort of comfort of having the reformer there or the chair there. And again, I noticed on your website that you um, you do a workshop around the resistance band and sort of the band-aid mm-hmm. of the mat work, I think is yeah. the, the word you call it. And, you know, I certainly learned an enormous amount by what we did on the reformer and replicating that on the mat using other bits of small equipment. 
Um, and, you know, obviously from a virtual point of view, that's what we had to do for a few yeah. years, shall we say. So could you talk to us a little bit more about from a point of view of obviously people learn mount work generally first and then they have the option of going on to the, the apparatus if they can. But then they have also the option of looking at the small equipment. So mm. what's your sort of take on the small equipment? Do you have certain favourites on the small equipment? Do you incorporate that? a lot or not as much? Where's your view on how you can progress your learning from Matt to that side of things? Okay, so the way I look at it is you can do a course that's about, that tells you how to incorporate band into your classes, a course that teaches you how to incorporate some ball exercises and so on. However, if you take a reform course that teaches you about resistance, Mm -hmm. assistance and you can then go right I've got a band how can I recreate rowing off the reformer with a band how can I recreate rowing off the reformer with a hand weight so it informs your teaching that way and I think that for me that's what I would do I would go to the large equipment first because then you can you can take a small prop and go, okay, so for example, let's take teaser, okay, really challenging that exercise. You can do it on all the apparatus. You can do it on the chair, you can do it on the Cadillac, you can do it on the barrel, and you can do it on the reformer. If you look at how to do the teaser in those four different places that I just mentioned, all those pieces of apparatus give you a different insight into teaser. So they'll show you where the point of failure is for your client. Why aren't they able to find their teaser? So obviously on the reformer, the spring is underneath you. So the, you've got the spring coming from underneath. On the Cadillac, you can have the spring coming from above. So you can see where to give your client the help. So then when you go into a mat class and you've got 12 people in your class who are all banging out different variations of teaser, <laughs> depending on what their body is and where they are, you can go, well, that person needs a band here. That right. person could do with the ball behind their lumbar spine. You can actually find it that way. Mm -hmm. So that's my take on it. But obviously that isn't always possible for people yeah. because again, the, there is a large cost to doing the apparatus courses yeah. and there's a large cost to buying the apparatus. So I think props are a great way of bringing the apparatus into people's homes, which is what we did during pandemic. So if what you want to do is a band course, what you're going to find is that, and I think band courses should probably be taught with this in mind, that a lot of the exercises you're going to be given are derived from performer yeah. or Cadillac. Yeah. And then I think people can start to piece it together. So rather than it being, here's a band in isolation, let's do some Pilates exercises with it. It's like, well, what is it giving you? Yeah. And I think that that to me is a really important link that we need to make, not just look, here's a foam roller, you know, crack out 20 exercises on it. Here's a foam roller. This exercise is, let's say, the elephant off the reformer, you know, and this is how we're going to incorporate the, the foam roller into it. And that's when it starts to, I think, give people interest and go, okay, well, what, what would the reformer feel like? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, but to your question was my favorite prop, wasn't it? It, it varies. I think it varies week to week. It's like, which child is my favorite? In what depends which behavior. <laughs> You know, it depends. Uh, you know, at the moment, I'm I'm in love with my uh, foot corrector. 
Okay, yeah. yeah. Which is, and again, they're, they're quite an expensive piece of kit. So with my clients, with my riders, I give them, I, I buy these bands off Amazon and I just give them one of those to use. Yeah. Because okay. obviously at the um, moment I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with feet at the moment. I was going to say yes. It's understandable why <laughs> that's, uh, you're going straight there at the moment. I can see that. Um, uh, well, it, it's. I found that I actually found that really fascinating because I think the concept that you're looking at there, in a way, is is learning the breadth of what Pilates has has to offer and then exploring your own movement development, which in essence, again, harks back to, to the essence of what this thing is, right, which is movement exploration and all those stories of, of Joe watching various animals, people, different things move, you know, who knows what is historically correct, but, uh, um, <laughs> you know, it is that, that concept of, you know, one way of, ensuring that we continue to level up and continue to learn is to continue to explore movement. So getting the greatest breadth of foundation and then maybe exploring from there is an interesting way to look at it yeah. rather than saying, okay, I'll do mat and then add some small equipment and eventually get to the machines. Maybe there's an argument to say, okay, well, actually that's what gives you the foundation to learn all of that and explore that yourself, which, um, you know, really is what Pilates is about. Even if you do do the mat and the equipment, it's then just a framework, isn't it? To then go yeah. and explore all those variations and things that work for different people. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how, again, it's the historic thing of how true this is, but Joseph supposedly created the apparatus because he was so fed up of having to manually, you know, manhandle people into jackknife and into teasers. So that's why the reformer came around rather than it being he went to the Isle of Man and used it for that. That's the story that I've been told. And you can I can totally understand that because, you know, yeah. if you're trying to manhandle 12 people all up into a jackknife. It can take its toll on your body as a teacher. It can. It can. Um, all right, well, look, that also is is sort of what I wanted to come on and ask you is about the horse riders and your love from an equine point of view. Because one thing that I love is when you see people create something slightly different and bring different experiences and combine that with Pilates as well. So, um, you know, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but could you just tell us a little bit about how you made that link and what you now offer in relation to that link between the rider and the horse? Sure. Very, very briefly. Um, I was, I had a riding lesson probably about 15 years ago and I was on a big 18 hand dressage horse and he was very stiff on his right hand side. So we were doing lots of exercises to supple him up and, and warm him up. And the next day I woke up and I could barely move the right hand side of my body. I was stiff from my sort of tailbone to my neck. And I went to see my physio who put me back and help me. But she called me up the next week and said, I've got somebody who's got the exact same injury as you. And she's a horse rider and she wants to see a Pilates teacher who, who rides. Can you go and meet her? So I went to see her in her home. We got chatting and I said, so where do you ride? And we rode at the same stables. And I said, so who did you ride? And she had ridden the exact same horse as me. So we okay. had the exact same injury, exact horse, same horse. And it just set the cogs going in my mind of, well, chicken in the egg, which is it? You know, do is there a, do we both have the same issues in our human body or is it coming from the horse? Which way round is it? So that's why I then went out to uh, California to train with Monty Roberts because I wanted to have more of an equine psychology angle. And at the time, I, I wanted to be more accomplished in Pilates as well. So I went back and I did more studying to understand how the apparatus so I could fit it together. 
And the more I've done it and the more I've gone into it, you can see it. It's very, and, and as I ride now, especially with an injured foot, you know, it's, you, you can see how horses get injured through the rider. Mm-hmm. And I've done days where I've worked in, in combination with one of the top equine spinal surgeons in the UK. And she is really driving now equi- equestrian fitness because she uh, is fed up of seeing the same horse with the same injury, it getting fixed, the rider coming on, doing nothing at all to look after themselves and expecting a difference. Yeah. And so, and this is what's happening. I think equestrian osteopaths and physios are seeing that the human plays a big, big part in equestrian health. So it's that thing that I work with a lot of elite athletes and we say to them, you know, if you're looking for that 1% that's going to get you from, you know, silver to gold, then, you know, try this because mm-hmm. this is a really effective complementary discipline for you to do. And it's really, you know, I have these guys who they are, they come to my sessions, we do them via Zoom because I work with a, a three-day eventing team, which is possibly the most dangerous and challenging of equestrian sports. And um, every week there'll be, you know, this week we had a broken rib. It's been burly this weekend, so we mm-hmm. had a broken rib. And there's always something, you know, these guys need to really look after themselves. And the more we can encourage them to do that, not only will they improve their own health, but they'll also improve the the long-term health of their horse as well. And what I always say to riders is, have you ever carried a tired, small child on your back? Mm -hmm. Or even giving a friend a piggyback, that sensation of somebody not quite being in the right place. What do you have to do to compensate for that mass that you are carrying? And that's what horses are doing. They're doing the whole day, especially riding school horses. Yeah. You know, no wonder they get injured. So I'm doing it from a, um, this is going to sound very new age, but I'm doing it for the good of the horse. I'm coming from the angle of, I want to help the horses. (laughs) Through allowing the person to understand what their movement or position or imbalances do to the horse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's some amazing research coming out now um, where they're putting um, sensors under saddle pads where they can, you can actually see the weight shift. And um, so for example, if they made, I'll tell you this very, very quickly, but it is fascinating. I hope you find it fascinating. They deliberately shortened a stirrup by one hole, which makes it about inch shorter on the rider right. to see the impact on the horse. They shortened the left stirrup and they found that the horses on the right-hand side increased the extension of the horse's um, joints enormously. So every stride that horse was having more force put through its right hand side because of that stirrup difference because it was putting the weight of the rider uneven mm. and i think if more riders can see and hear this evidence that's coming out they're just going to go oh my god i need to i need to look at myself i need to look yep. at my own body yeah interesting isn't it isn't it because yeah. you sort of think about the same thing imagine if we put a one or two inch block under a foot on a reformer and had somebody moving, the imbalance yeah. would, would be there. Yes. Fascinating. Well, look, it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure speaking to somebody of your caliber. Um, we do have a, a few quick fire questions that we normally ask our, our guests at, at the end. Um, and so if I can ask you this, first of all, do, do you have a favorite Pilates exercise? Teaser. Teaser, okay. <laughs> you mentioned that earlier. I thought you might go there. And all right. 
so many people will study on mat work and then they want to make the transition to the equipment else we touched on. But yep. it's expensive. Buying everything <laughs> is expensive. So with your experience, if you could just buy one or two pieces to progress a studio or develop of the apparatus, which one or two would you recommend? Reformer and put a tower on it. Because oh, then okay. you've, got, you've yeah. got your sort of Cadillac squished into one. But all you all you lose is your canopy work from the from the Cadillac repertoire, and that's quite advanced anyway. So yeah, reformer with a tower. With a tower. Good, good answer. Slightly different answer. Most people so far have gone reformer and chair, reformer and chair. So it's good to have a, a bit of variation <laughs> there. I like it. Um, all right. Well, Julie, it's been an absolute pleasure. I thank you for your time and uh, I wish you all the very best with your own rehab and then the <laughs> development from uh, your horse training as well, which sounds amazing. Um, but could you just uh, let the, the people listening know where they can find you, hear more about you, follow you, all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, my website is www.juliedriverpilates.com. I'm on Facebook with the same um, and an Instagram. It's at juliedriver underscore pilates. And feel free to message me, ask me any questions. And I'm not guaranteeing I'll be able to answer them, but if I can, I'm happy to help. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. Well, again, thank you very much for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And, and on behalf of Pilates 101, all of us here at APPI, we hope your own rehab goes smoothly for you as well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to Julie. And I thought she had some fascinating insights there both in terms of of her view of how important that aspect of the larger apparatus is to allowing you to add those variations in to the rest of your pilates practice um and so now we move on to somebody with a little bit of a different take we're going to speak now um to jeff waters jeff is the um owner and proprietor of um, the Pilates Studio, which is a great business that they have, and it's a, you'll hear in the uh, chat with Jeff, they've you know really uh, challenged themselves by opening um, you know right amongst the pandemic, and and obviously going very well for them. But what is interesting to hear from Jeff is how difficult it is to get the right people with the right skill set, and that's what part of this whole leveling up process is. There is an enormous demand out there for people that are fully trained, that have good personalities, that are vibrant in the way that they teach, that can commit to a studio and help that studio deliver. And you can earn a significant uptake in your salary if you're able to have the full package. So let's just see what, uh, or let's just hear, shall I say, what Jeff has to say. And here we go, a interview now with Jeff Waters of the Pilates Studio. All right. Hello again, everyone. And uh, as promised, we've got multiple guests on this podcast. And our next guest guest is Jeff Waters. Uh, Jeff is a fellow Australian. And so I thought it would be interesting to get him onto the podcast here. Jeff runs a number of studios um, in and around the sort of London, greater London area. He'll explain that to you a little bit more himself. Um, he runs a great uh, company called the Pilates Movement and I am delighted to have a chat to a fellow studio owner who we can talk about some of the challenges of finding the right people to work in our environment. So Jeff welcome to Pilates 101. Thank you Glenn it's great to be here. Appreciate your time mate I really do. So why don't you give us that sort of elevator picture of you a little bit of your background where your sort of Pilates training came from and, and how you went about setting up your business. 
Sure. Um, okay, so I have been in this industry for about 12 years. I started off as a personal trainer, so not originally um, from a Pilates background. And sort of in Australia, like I started off in Australia running boot camps and PT and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I sort of ended up being my own freelance boss and a boot full of equipment in the park and then really went, leveled it up. So I really put a lot of effort into the training. So I sort of managed to create a little bit of a niche market in Australia, but found there needed more, um, a lot of people with injuries and obviously in Australia too, you've got to keep on upskilling, upskilling, upskilling. So I went down the Matt Pilates path, which sort of ended up a real pivoting point in my life. Um, so I studied with a company in Australia, uh, Studio Pilates and, you know, good, good course and, and just a lot of doors opened up through that. I was able to incorporate a lot of the methodology of Pilates um, into my PT, into my boot camps, particularly with core work. And it just sort of allowed me to actually think a little bit more outside of the box. And, and it is a lot of the exercises. It just helps the form and helps the articulation of the exercises and the movement. Um, just all around made me a better instructor. So my wife and I, about five years ago, decided to move back from Australia um, to the UK and open up a studio. At that point, I was still very predominant in HIIT training. Um, I was teaching Matt quite a bit, but we saw some trends going and opened up a HIIT studio in um, London in Collierswood called Your Zone 45. Still got it, still going. Um, which is great, but the passion was was there, but we, we saw a lot of opportunities in Reformer Pilates. Reformer Pilates was um, really starting to take off, and I loved it, particularly being a guy as well. You just having that level of strength and resistance on the Reformer um, really sort of made um made a good point for me to to um move forwards with it so and you know there's a lot of studios doing you know sort of more um classical reformer and i i ended up doing a dynamic reformer course and which i just loved it, it was a good translation from hit training over to um the reformer where you just sort of had that that tempo that sort of energy in a class and just that burnt fatigue point um but also there was that sort of Therapy element of it, the stretching, the mobilization, just that that whole path which former Pilates can take you down. I just just loved it, still do, love teaching it, love owning the studio. Um, so yeah, so we opened up a reformer Pilates studio called the Pilates Movement in Godalming about two years ago, mid mid COVID. Um, I'm an optimist, so I thought COVID, the lockdown was over. Um, I was I was very wrong, um, but you know it, it it was buoyant. It was good market. It was a great place to open. So we we got through, and and we've been training solid for a year uninterrupted, and it's been going so well. We're actually in the process of opening up another studio. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of me in a nutshell. There's obviously been a few speed bumps. I certainly wasn't expecting COVID in between all that, so that sort of slowed the whole process down. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's, um, that's where I'm at now. So a couple of studios, um, another one on the way. Uh, I spend most of the time at the Reformer studio. I still teach. I still do a lot of PT there. So yeah, it's just a bit of a love of mine, really. Yeah, brilliant. Well, what a story. I love it when I hear people that have just you know, taken that opportunity in front of them and gone for it. So I can't imagine um, what a challenging time it must have been when you first opened your first 
reformer studio here doing it uh, in the middle of the pandemic. You're a, a very brave man on that side, but I congratulate you for getting through and now thriving, obviously, with uh, another studio on the way. Good for you. Well done. Um, Thank you. But I am interested, really interested to explore a little bit of the psychology of what you just mentioned there, because you obviously saw this from very early in your career that you needed to continue to evolve in the way mm. that you were teaching, in what your clients were demanding of you. And mm. I guess this podcast is all about that concept of leveling up and mm. looking at what the next thing is and how that might influence your career or what that might bring to you within your career. Um, and hearing you talk there, I mean, you started that process of involvement from the sounds of things quite early. You were always looking at adding new skills into that. Was that just built in you? Is that something that you learned from other areas? Like where did that constant drive to evolve yourself come from? I think it, it was very organic, Glenn, but I think you all you always need to be learning in this industry. And I think I used to look back when I was six months then and you know, there's a certain level of, for myself personally, you know, I was quite arrogant at six months in. Yeah, I know it all. I'm, I'm the finished product. This is brilliant. I know how to do a deadlift. Rah, rah. And then you start to, you know, you always do having a bit of an epiphany at some point in this career. If you do, you know, if it's the path you're going to go down and you're never the finished article. You never, I don't think I can ever look at myself back and, I've, you know, I've got, got quite a few qualifications under my belt now and quite a bit of experience teaching and, I still don't see myself as a finished article anymore. There's, there's always things to learn. There's always things to develop. And I think about a year in, I really started to sort of change that. And then, and, you know, you hear other trainers, you go to other sessions, you go, no, you know what, these guys are doing it better than me. And you can't be too proud in the sense where you just can't dial into one way of thinking in this industry. You've got to be fluid with it. It's never a changing industry. It's never evolving industry. So you, you will never be the finished product. You always need to keep on learning, um, whether it's from a technical point of view, just on how you deliver classes. There's so many different elements you need to be good at. Um, so you just have to go into it constantly with an open mind. So, and, and just think if I was teaching the same classes I was 10 years ago, I, I don't think I'd be successful as, as, as the studios have been today. So I'm an open-minded thinker. Um, and I would stress that to anyone going into the industry. Don't ever think you're the finished item because you never will be. You, you're constantly, you're probably a lot more um, accomplished than me, Glenn, obviously. But yeah, I, I, I'm always, I'm doing instructors' classes. I go to as many classes, as many sessions as I can, not because of the, you know, obviously the enjoyment of it, but I'm always taking things from it as well. Oh, I just love the way they cued that. I love the way they they dialed in onto that muscle group. I love that sequence. You know, it, it's just, oh, you know, I'd like to learn about that. So you, you are always learning. you just got to have an open mind in this industry and find what works for you as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that, that's one of those keys, though, isn't it, to never think that you're there because we are never there. Um, and interestingly, one of the other guests on this podcast, uh, Julie Driver, um, who's quite a big name in the industry as well and has, has taught internationally here in the UK and all over the world, she's saying the exact same thing, is that you know she's always still learning, even though she's a teacher trainer, she's still learning a lot herself. Um, yeah, and it's, so. it's great and very interesting to hear you talk about learning, not just from learning on a structured sort of course programming in a way, but learning from 
still been a Pilates enthusiast by taking classes, going to other people, learning through movement exploration and taking little cues here or there or a variation yep. here or there that somebody does. Um, and that's one of the things that I've been sort of trying to address in this podcast as well. When we talk about leveling up and learning and advancing one's career, there's a lot of times when teachers get their qualification and they go yeah. out to start teaching and stop doing. And mm -hmm. I guess from what you're saying there, you, even though, you know, you're extremely successful in what you're doing, you're still taking that time to allow your body to learn and, and to learn through what others are doing as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and you've got to have a love of Pilates. Like I remember when I qualified all those many years ago, one of the first things the, the um, teacher said to us, you, you know, to really be truly successful in this industry, you've got to love it. And, you know, it, it just translates into your words, how you teach. Um, you know, I have got that love of Pilates and, you know, and the reformer particularly for me is just, you know, that's where it's at now. I just love it. I love the methodology. But you get your Pilates geek on as well, you know, all those little bits you, and people do see it as, you know, half time people will come there. There's obviously the aesthetic element of it. But they also need to be fixed as well, and they they come to Pilates to be fixed. So you know to upskill on that level as well, and understand the body, and, and that's one of the best things about it, which you don't get. And you know it's it's different with my hip training. Um, on on you know it's a completely different methodology. It's a completely different reason why people walk through the door. But you know to to be able to have that knowledge and draw on that knowledge is super important as well. So whilst there are all these little facets, um, yeah, it's good to get your geek on as well and learn about all those skiing industry, you know, it's always the knees, it's always the back and, and yeah, and, and it's good as bread and butter work for us. Yeah, it is. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I want to also ask you about, you made a conscious decision from what you were saying, moving from mm. mat to reformer and yep. other parts of the equipment. And you've you mentioned it a couple of times, just in the discussion mm. we've had here now about, you know, you, your view is you know, the reformer, that's where it's at. So you've opened a reformer studio. Um, mm. I'm interested just to get, your insight really on um, what it was that, that made you move from your mat training to your reformer training and what it was that you saw that you, you sort of now place that, that focus and emphasis on the importance of, of having leveled up, developed up from mat to the reformer and the other equipment. Um, it's having, as an instructor, like, you know, unless you've got all your toys and stuff with Matt Pilates, having that versatility on the reformer is amazing. Um, the fact you can rely on the reformer to take you deeper into those stretches and, and hold those stretches a little bit safer is brilliant. Um, as a guy as well, having that sort of upper body strength element to it um, is just, you know, I love, I love that aspect. And having that resistance of the springs is, is just brilliant. And, you know, it's just completely endless what you can do on the reformer and like you you look on instagram and you'll see some page you follow and go oh, okay i'll try that it just doesn't hit the mark but then other times you can try that and then you go oh wow i really felt that that was brilliant um it just dials in on those muscle groups so much better like you know you can do your map and i love map pilates i love teaching i taught it for years and you know, you can do that side lying and you can just burn someone's glutes to the point where there's smoke coming off and, and all that. And, um, you know, and, unless you will get to a certain plateau point, and I think you'll never reach a real plateau point on the reformer. You just get there a lot quicker and you can maintain that, 
you know, that arc of Pilates to get there and you, you're always going to be going up and up and up on that trajectory without having to introduce too many other elements. So if you map and you'll get clients or you're teaching classes, it gets to a point where you need to really start levelling up, introducing your toys, times, weights, that type of thing. With reforming, you just got that arc and arc and arc. You're only limited as much by what the knowledge you can bring to every time you approach a class and how you, you set your class up. And it's good for me too. I'm getting a bit older. I love teaching it, you know, just being able to sort of walk around and just shock people. It's, it's a little bit less aggravating on the body as, as I start to wear down a little bit. Yes, yes, interesting. I mean, look, the thing is that it's it is endless what you can do on the reformer, isn't it? From and, and yeah. various positions, various muscle groups, variations, etc. Um, well, let me ask you you this, and I guess I I know the answer be in a way because you've gone on and developed your own business, and and mm-hmm. obviously is doing very well for you. Um, but one of the questions we get asked at the institute a lot for people is, um, it, it's quite an investment going on your reformer training or onto your large equipment training. Um, you've done that. You, you spent the money and then that's gone on and now you've developed this entire business as a result of that. Mm-hmm. What would your take be on that question of, you know, the amount that the money it takes to gain your reformer qualification and what that might bring or give to you in your ongoing career? Oh, I do. Then, I mean, the key word you said there is an investment. Um, And there's normally things you can go to university, you can do a variety of different things, which will cost you a lot more time, a lot more um, money. And to be honest, the return you get on that investment, it will pay for itself very, very quickly. Like, I wouldn't even balk at the money, to be honest. Like, if you're thinking about doing the reform and it's a big chunk of money, you'll get that money back very, very quickly. It's, you know, there's so much work. If I find a good instructor, I will make work for them. I will create a shift because I know, you know, I've got seven beds there. Um, if I've got people on all those beds and you're coming in putting people on those beds, you know, I won't let you go. Like, I'll do everything I can to keep you as an instructor. Um, so, no, it's, it's, it's what you said. It's an investment. You know, you've got to invest in yourself physically. Um, for your health, but also, you know, if you want uh, a better financial arc in this industry, you've got to upskill. And, and so, no, I wouldn't even hesitate to tell anyone if they're thinking about going down the reformer path. There's, there's so much work for good instructors. Um, it's not something you'll you'll get your CV. Starting out can be a little bit tough getting that break. And But if you've got, if you've been instructing, if you've been instructing Matt for years and you can walk into a class and know just how to interact with people, you know, speak with confidence, um, you'll get work, no problem whatsoever. You'll, you'll pay that investment off in, in that. and give them what you can return, earn in return. It's nothing really. Excellent, excellent. Well, let me, we, we spoke very briefly before we, we started the recording here as well. Um, and mm-hmm. I want to just bring us back to, to the conversation because the world right now, and as studio owners getting staff is quite challenging at the moment and getting good quality staff is Mm -hmm. is very challenging and part of that i think is this concept of there's an enormous amount of people that are out there and mat trained but the Mm -hmm. pool of people that are out there and are reformer or large equipment trained 
yeah. is much smaller. Could you sort of talk to us about your experience in terms of trying to find staff and how easy or not or hard that's been for you? It is, it is hard. Um, how I approach staff, you know, it could be anything through, you know, Instagram accounts and, and following people. Like we, we're getting a little bit more of a social media following. When you, when I, how I found most of the staff, when I first opened the former studio, I had a lot of, I had trainers um, get in touch with me because I think they'd been working up in London or whatnot. So I had a few, but it is, it is a struggle. Like I've had trainers driving for an hour to get to the studio, that type of thing, and, and had to pay, you know, considerably, or I give them three or four shifts. And um, normally the way I counter it is, is obviously you've got to make it attractive for trainers. Um, but you, you can't just offer one class as well. Like I always try and offer two, three classes, PTs, that type of thing. So when they get to their venue, um, as a trainer, they're, they're, they're there for a good set amount of time. So it is, it is financially because, you know, yeah. back in the old day, you had five different T-shirts in your car, you go to one gym, you, you blow on and you go to somewhere else. And, and but for me, I want instructors to buy into the studio as well, a little bit as well. Like the more they buy in the studio, the better it is for me. They're having a little bit of a chat to people. Um, but getting to know the members' names as well is really important if they start to engage with the members. So you've got to make a very welcoming environment and a nice place to work for the instructors too, which I think I think I do. So Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the only way you'll be successful. Um, but tell me, is are you finding it easy to find staff? Is it challenging at the moment? What's it like for you? It can be, yeah. It, it is hard. It is hard to find, find good staff. So it goes back to what I was saying earlier, like, you know, there, there is work for reform instructors out there. So it can it can be a bit of a long, long old process. I'm in the advantage where, you know, I try not to run too many classes based on that element, to be honest, Glenn, because when staff need to be replaced, I can always step in, I can cover, I can do a shift for three months, six months, if needs be, until the right person comes along. But I would rather myself as a studio owner run that shift for three months, six months until the right person comes along than put someone in who's not quite right for the studio because if someone's not, you know, it's my brand, it's it's everything I work for, not having the right person in there, I just can't afford that. So I, like I said earlier, if the right person comes along, I'll make work for them, I'll just create work for them and then when shifts become available, you'll, you'll load them on. So, but yeah, long, long, long answer, but, yeah, 100%. I do find half of fine staff. Good staff too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I guess that's sort of that concept of um, the the, the levelling up approach that we're addressing in this episode. Um, mm. And we, we've touched on it a few times in that um, we have an enormous amount of people that go through the mat work yep. and then a smaller amount that go through the reformer and the equipment. Having said that, the, the fastest growth at the moment is people taking our reformer courses. Um, so yeah. there's a, quite a shift. And certainly we have seen coming back from the pandemic, I think Matt Pilates and the access and the idea of going to a studio for a Matt Pilates class mm. um, possibly uh, changed quite a bit over the pandemic mm. with everything going online and people taking classes at home. Um, but the one thing that came back quickest for us was those reformer classes because people were desperate to get back onto the machines. Yep. I guess the the question I have for you here is from giving us advice from your experience and your studio, um, and we touched on it earlier in terms of your view that the investment is a very small investment based on what you can get back. 
Um, mm -hmm. But I can't help but think there's been quite a shift in the industry that really puts reformer classes and working on the machines, the key part of sort of any future studio or current studio, if they haven't seen that and adopted to that, maybe they need to look at it. But you've jumped on it and gone down the reformer route. Is that all you do in your studio? Do you do mat classes as well? Is it just reformer classes, one-to-ones? Like what sort of what sort of area of Pilates do you offer in your studios? Okay, so we, we have two studios within the studio and it's the same business model. When I open my other studio, it will be the same business model. So we've got Studio One, Studio Two. So we've got the Reformer Studio, um, which is we've got seven, seven Reformers in there. Uh, with that, we have got Studio Two, which is a personal training. So we've got another Reformer in there. We've got a barrel. We've, we've got Wonder Chair. Um, so that's our PT studio. Um, so we only do reformer. I do introduce other elements, but that's more probably in my personal training background. So when I do PTs, I don't just focus purely on the reformer and this is how the session needs to be done. But it depends on the individual, but I, I do have that knowledge to call on what that person needs from me in a personal training studio. You know, it, it is predominantly reformer because that's what they would have got through the door for in the first place. Um, but yeah, just reformer. Well, we do have a variety of different classes and I always think if you're going to do something in business and sometimes I need to take my Pilates hat off and have my business hat on, you do one thing. If you try and be all things to all people and you try and open up that studio that does yoga and Pilates and hit and boxing and rah, 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 you're trying to all of a sudden compete with the local gym down the road who has all that as part of their gym membership or you're trying to compete with a variety of your David Lloyds or whatever, your big players. Just do one thing because don't stretch yourself in trying to be good at everything because in this industry, you've got to be good at so many things as a small business owner. You've got to be good at managing a team. You've got to be good at instructing. You've got to be good at the business side of it. You've got to be good at sales. And then all of a sudden, you've got to be good at you know, boxing and this and bar and blah, 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 you know, all these different things, you just stretch yourself too thin. So you've got to think about your own emotional investment into the business. So I've just made the choice to do reformer and just do it as well as we possibly can. So, but within that reformer, we do try and have a biggest audience. We don't have a very transient audience. We're out in Surrey. So most of our clients, I forecast, will stay with us for years and years and years. So if I do one thing on that reformer, they may get a little bit bored of it. So we do try and offer variations. And how we do that is through the class. So we've got a class that's jump and call, which is your more high-octane jump session. We get the jump boards out, load of fun. Not for everybody. A lot of people just, it's not for them. But the people who do it, they absolutely love it. Um, we've got our control, and by far that's our our most popular class, that's control class, so that's your beginners to intermediate um, session. Loads of different choices as you go in, so we always try and do progressions and regressions. So a lot of members are just happy on the control class. It would be our signature class. Um, we've got a reformer lengthen class, which um, does sort of hit a certain demographic as well. So that's just more your compression elements, your strength-based and your stretching elements on the reformer. It's just a really slow, chilled-out class. Um, we have that during the day. Um, again, it's one of those classes, it's not for everyone, but the people who love it, they're booked in month in advance. They don't want to miss out on that. And they see that more as a therapy session, just to get that nice long feeling. Yeah. And then we've got our challenge class, and that's one I, I love teaching my challenge, and that's when you do all your, your crazy, kooky, 
arabesques and gymnasts and all that kind of snakes and good stuff on there. Um, so there is an expectation if someone goes into our challenge class, you know, you're not explaining what a tabletop is. You're not explaining Nutraspine. You just there's a lot of content in the class. You can move quite quickly. Um, but we are introducing a new class as well, and I think five will be enough, which is called Reformer Burn. And this class is inspired very much. I've just recently been over to Australia and, and they're doing things a little bit differently over there, so I've taken that. Um, not really any stretching. It's just using that Reformer to just to take those muscles to a fatigue point and then a little bit more like really, you know, burning out, which is in the name. So, you know, long, long holds. Not a lot of content, only probably eight, nine different exercises, but holding those for about two, three minutes. So you're really just sort of at that uncomfortable point. So yeah. um, we're rolling that out on Monday. So I'm going to, I'm looking forward to teaching that, but I, I don't think the members, I've told them full well what they're going to get themselves in for, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, well, good. I mean, look, and again, that concept, right? You, you, you know, from what I understand it, you know, gone home on a, on a trip and use that to see what's happening there and, and look at the trends and what's happening within the industry, which you know, is one of those things, again, where you've just got to continually be evolving and looking at what, what's happening all around you and not just think what you've been doing is the right way because you can always learn, always learn from everything that's around you. But I want to ask you one, one final question before we, we finish yeah. up, and I'm conscious of not taking too much of your, your time. Um, but you've spoken just there about all these multiple hats that you have to put on at different times, especially as a studio owner. And the one thing that I've always found challenging is, you know, I, you know, I went to, to physio school. I didn't go to business school. And in physiotherapy, and I did physio in Australia, and, and very often you do go into private practice. But mm-hmm. no one told us how to run a business, how to run a practice. No one tells us this stuff. Where did you yeah. gain that knowledge from? How did you gain that business knowledge did you learn that elsewhere was that through running your businesses and you learn on the job so to speak how did you create that side of what you now do well i had a corporate job uh before i used to work at um pwc so i used to manage a team it didn't give me the internet it gave me i wouldn't say running a business so it didn't really give me that skill set in a sense but it gave me a different mindset so i'm of a different mindset than probably someone starting off in the industry. So that sort of gave me that corporate mindset of looking at things with a very analytical mind and a very sort of, you know, attention to detail kind of approach and knowing my numbers, which a lot of us, you know, you've got to know your numbers. You've got to know what's going on in the business. If you don't know what's going on in the business, you, you, it's just and in a, you know something It's inevitable what's going to happen and it's not a good path to go down. Um I made mistakes, like when God, you know, I've, I've made some mistakes. It's just how big those mistakes are, really. And you do, and you've got to learn by your mistakes, but you just get better and better and better at it. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I've listened to your podcast if you're here. So um, that's really good. Look, I just sit in my car and listen to so, so many podcasts, which is brilliant. Because there is so much knowledge out there on, on how to run a business. and. You've just got to try and hunt it down, though. So it goes back to what I was saying. Don't think that you put seven reformers or eight reformers in a studio and, and they will come. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't happen. You've you got to learn your marketing. You've got to learn your social media. It takes a long time. Um, there is no real school. They're, they're, you know, it, it is hard, like the instructors, and, and if someone's setting off by themselves, it, it could be everything from negotiating to a landlord. 
understanding what you're getting yourself in for, where to recruit your lawyers from, what, what a lawyer is saying to you. It's just from that first starting point. You may know the ins and outs of reformer and best trainer in the world, but if you can't drop an advert on Facebook or, you know, no understanding how. So it just goes back, you've got to be open-minded. Um, you've got to take advice from people as much as you can. Ask people, talk to people, how you did this, how you do that. There are people that are experts in their field at doing this. You know, ask them and and they will generally, you've got to have a bit of trust as well. Like you've got to trust people giving you the same advice. I just pick it up. You get better and better at it. Like, like it goes back five years ago, I made some humdingers, let me tell you, when I first started out. You know, you got to take things with a pinch of salt as well. Like you, you get thicker and thicker skinned. You get pretty thick skinned. Check things. Like just check things. Like someone might be telling you something, a deal might look good. You got to check it. Read the fine print. Read what you get yourself in for. Would be my one biggest bit of advice. Yeah. Always go over for everything. Fully understand what you get yourself in for before you sign anything because the commitments you make now in business, it's not like getting a car which you can sell on or getting a phone contract. They're big commitments. You know, they're, they're long-term commitments. So you got to really know what you get yourself in for. But yeah, it works out. Yeah. Well, it's worked. worked worked out and working out for you so congratulations on what you have done thank today you, and all the very best with the the new studio that's coming along as well um yeah exciting watch the space yes we will and talking about that the final thing I, I i will ask you is just you know people will be really fascinated about you and your studio your story what you've talking about today so where can they find you follow you learn more about what you guys are doing yeah sure so we are place movement um studio uh, so Pilates Movement in Godalming, we, we come straight up, top of the markings there. So uh, you can check us out, Pilates Movement Godalming, that's our Insta handle. Um, yeah, it's building up, like I'm posting loads of pics on there so you can see what we're doing in the studio. I, you know, Insta, it's just a little bit of a story, it's just our journey. Um, I think I put a few things on just how I, I started out because I have had a very unorthodox approach in this industry. I've started out with a different mindset. A little bit later as well, I wasn't, in, you know, I was 30 when I started in this industry, so I'd had a very different background, very different mindset. Um, but, yeah, no, we're on there. Check check us out. Um, yeah, LinkedIn, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so, yeah, give us a follow. It'd be great. And follow our story. Yeah, excellent. Well, look, Jeff, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your story and your passion, which is obviously comes across really clear when, uh, when I listen to you, that passion for, for what you're doing and, and what we can do. Um, within this industry as well. So thank you very much for your time. No worries. My pleasure, Glenn. Thank you. Okay. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly uh, enjoyed that chat with Jeff and uh, some of those brilliant Australianisms that uh, he was able to, to throw out in the interview there. That <laughs> was brilliant. Love it. Thank you very much to Jeff. And obviously, we are wishing you and your team all the very best as you open your second studio there. Well done on that. And so, guys... That brings to a close this month's podcast. I hope you found it of interest and I hope I can get you to have a think or a view of what is your next step. Where are you going in your Pilates journey and what do you want out of it? Is your next step to increase what you're offering from a business point of view? Is your next step to take the step into getting into one of those brilliant studios that are renowned for high class, high level teaching? and get the financial rewards that come with that as well. So, think it over, think about your next step, 
Think about what leveling up means for you. It's only you that can make those decisions and set that pathway forwards. For me, um, I honestly believe that the, the, the step to reforma and equipment just opens an entire another world of opportunities, not just for yourself, but for your clients and what you can achieve for them. From me, from Elisa, from all the team at AEPPI, wishing you all the very best for the month ahead. And we will see you again in October. Well, hear you. I don't see you. We will hear you, speak to you, whatever the right phrase is. Anyway, we'll be back in October with another episode of Pilates 101. Bye for now.